podcasts. Good news, we've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription by the 14th of September and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to the show here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Uh, I'm delighted to say this is a very special edition of the show for two reasons. Uh, the <laughs> first of which is that I'm currently sitting in a Scottish castle up in the Highlands. Uh, and, and the second reason is I'm here with uh, Tim Cheshire. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sam. Lovely to be here. Welcome to Scotland. Welcome to Scotland. I'm the s- billiard room, no doubt. <laughs> the in... billiard room in the castle. We are in a billiard room in the castle. <laughs> Tim, you better explain pretty pronto what on earth we're both doing here uh, in this castle. Why are well, we Well, I just bought this house and I thought I'm going to invite... <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is the venue for a relatively new Scottish Christian family event called Refuel, um, and it takes place in the grounds of this wonderful castle up here in the north of Scotland. It's in its second year, um, and I'm, I'm running the youth program. Uh, yeah, and every day we come into the billiard room <laughs> and either do interviews or we have our production meeting here at four o'clock as well every so day. Tim, Tim's very important and because you're very important you're allowed into the castle it's the billiard room everyone else is camping in tents we should point out you're not staying here you're not in the castle in the castle living no here. and neither am I we should hasten to add but you're instead you're running the youth tent so yeah, uh, yeah. 50 or 60 kids yeah uh, tell me what's been going on in the youth tent yep so yeah around about 60 kids a little contingent have come over all the way from germany as well which is great so we're getting on well with those guys and yeah we're kind of just spending our time really trying to encourage these kids to think big dream big most of them live up here in the north of scotland some of them may be in church situations where the youth groups are not giant Mm. um i grew up myself in the country where in my church there was me and one other kid um, for my entire teenage life, um, so I understand where where these guys are coming from. You know, I live in Glasgow, and there's lots of great big youth groups, and it's all wonderful. Can be a little bit tougher for teenagers up here in North Scotland, so we're just encouraging them to dream big, think big, not be defined by other people. A lot of these kids already they've been told this is your generation, this is who you are, this is what defines you as a generation. You're the I generation. This is what defines you, this is how you act, and this is what your future holds. So we're saying, do you know what? Absolutely not. You define your own self, you define your own generation, and you can actually shape that generation. So we're trying to make sure that they're giving God a little bit of opportunity in their lives to speak to them and kind of explore this whole idea of what it means to be part of their generation. And the fact that they can be agents of change. Yeah. They can be part of shaping it, not being told it's already been shaped and they've got to fit into yeah. it. I mean, it sounds like what you're kind of putting into these kids is, is some of what almost you wish you could have had for yourself, right? When you were growing up, as you say, yeah. in your church with not many people around and it was hard. But tell me a bit more about your upbringing, how you came to faith and what your sort of church situation was like when you were younger. Yeah, well, I grew up in a single parent family and uh, my mu- when I was really young, my mum became a Christian and it was kind of in the 70s. 
um, during the sort of renewal days when kind of things of the Holy Spirit were just kind of getting going in the UK. And my mum joined this little group, it was called a house church. It was part of the house church movement. And so my kind of initial church experiences as a kid who hadn't made any decision to follow Jesus, just kind of going along with my mum. I had never, never entered into a church building at all. It was just all house church stuff. It was kind of a little bit underground, a little bit hippie. It was pretty great and I really loved it. Most importantly, I absolutely saw a massive, massive change in my mum's life, even at a young age. And we prayed for things. Like we were, we were pretty poor. And I can remember once not having any shoes as a kid. And my mum said, we're going to pray that God will provide us with some shoes. And I just thought, oh, wacko, this is, this is crazy. But let's go with it. And we prayed. And that same day, literally that same day, somebody knocked on the door and said, we've got some shoes. We just wondered if Tim needed shoes. And I, I was like nine years old. I was so totally blown away by this whole thing. But very shortly afterwards, I gave my life to Jesus um, and, you know, grew up through the 80s as a teenager. I lived in the country. So, as I said, you know, I, I, we were in a church which was very small in, in a small uh, rural part of Buckinghamshire. But I can remember going to things like this with my mum and with my larger church family. They were called Bible Weeks back then. And they were real seminal moments for me and for my church, um, where uh, God really spoke so, so clearly to me, which when I look back on it now, the things that God said to me when I was a teenager at those gatherings, uh, I'm living it out now. Like I'm actually living those things out now. Which I think is it's, quite it's really important to talk about, as you say, those seminal moments and how mm. events like this can be really important. Because I think yeah. sometimes people can be a little bit kind of sceptical and say, well, you just kind of go along, have a great week, but then all the kids go home and they go back to their normal lives and they're not really following God and they've got to wait another year to go back to youth camp again. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I've heard youth leaders sort of talk about this as well. Yeah. And sometimes it's presented as a bit of a problem mm. that it seems like kids will have a really exciting week at whatever Bible week, mm. but it doesn't always follow through with the, with the rest of the... Well, my answer to that would be that make sure whatever it is you're doing with the kids throughout the rest of the year lives up to their experience that they have at these Bible at these events. Make sure every week you're stretching them, challenging them, um, helping them to focus in on what it is God has got planned. What we're talking about with these kids this week is God has got a plan for your life. It started before you were born. It's exciting and it, it's, it's happening right now. And if you, in, in your life, which is full of distractions, if you would just create a little bit of a space in your life for God to speak to you, he will. That is going to shape your life. And that is going to determine what is going to happen in your life if you allow it. And if you do, and we've had some people talking about how they did that when they were younger and how it shaped their life. If you do, it will lead to an incredible, challenging, faith-filled adventure with God. For the rest of your life and their youth group experience needs to be that every week every week and all we can do is just add into that a little bit um, and maybe I'm a great believer in there are going to be moments and you know we, we could talk about examples of this in the bible and so on and so forth but there are there are certain moments when people gather together and God says something to a group of people all at the same time which is significant for that group of people and that's what this week is mm. 
So when you're when you're not sitting here in the billiards room in a <laughs> Scottish castle, you uh, you do a couple of things. Well, one of the things I want to talk about is that you're the national director for Scotland for the Message Trust, yeah, and yeah. Uh, the Message Trust will be familiar to a lot of people. Really, is being centred in Manchester Absolutely. of doing great works in schools with sending bands into schools and doing evangelistic outreach onto estates, and a number of people will be familiar with that, but may not know so much about what the what the message is in Scotland. And you're clearly the man to ask because you've yeah. up here. So tell us about the Message Trust in Scotland. Well, it's fascinating. It's been fascinating for me to see how the Message Trust has developed over the years. Obviously, it was really kind of influential for me, somebody that was in a band for many years, and seeing just what they were doing and how they were using music and arts and creativity to create these what can only be described really as sort of urban missionaries. Um, using these giftings to connect with kids on on you know tough estates, uh, mainly back in the day in Manchester. But really over the last five or six or seven years, um, Andy Hawthorne and others on the team centrally there have felt that God has been encouraging them to spread the wings beyond Manchester um, and create uh, hubs, not just around the UK, but around the world. So we have the Message Trust in Scotland, based in Glasgow. We have the Message Trust in Wales, based in Cardiff. We have various uh, Message Trust hubs around England. Um, we have the Message Trust in South Africa. We have the Message Trust in Germany. And we have the Message Trust in Canada. Um, and it's expanding all of the time. Uh, but there are certain fundamental things that link us all together. We are there uh, to, to reach the least, the last and the lost. So incarnational ministry, um, a focus on young people, but not exclusively for yeah. young people. Lots of prison ministry, Eden teams. Um, you know, moving into rough estates, living there, incarnational ministry, working in partnership with local church, reaching into those communities yeah. and all, of the, all the kind a, of unique a, challenges. There's a friend of mine in London who's doing the, the Eden project, the mm. Eden team thing, okay. where you will literally, as I understand it, mm. sell your nice suburban house yeah. and you will move into a flat in the middle of the toughest estate imaginable that, that's and ex- you'll start that's to exactly reach people it. with the gospel. It's and I it, find incredibly inspiring. It, Eden teams is not just people moving in. So first of all, it starts with the local church, which is already working there or is working close to there. Um, then typically the team would be made up of people living who, who grew up in that area. And they're the key, key members of the team. But then also people do decide to, like you say, sell up, move out of, of, of their suburban, comfortable lifestyles and move into some of these rough, tough places. And it's a five-year commitment. Uh, people come and it, I, I, honestly, I've seen a lot in my life, but Eden Teams is, as you say, probably the most incredible inspirational thing that I've seen in, in a long, long time. And I'm, I'm happy to say we have three Eden Teams in Scotland now. So Drumchapel, Parkhead, uh, Hillhead, which is n- near to Kirk and Tillock. And then we're going to be launching in Dumbarton, uh, Rakhazy, and also Ochenairn, which is a big, huge estate uh, in the north part of Glasgow. So by the end of this 2019, we'll have six, six Eden teams in Scotland. Um, plus a whole load of other stuff. Prison yeah. ministry, schools tell, work. Tell me about the uh, the bus that's here <laughs> on site. You told me about this bus. a moment ago. I, yeah. I love the story of this bus and what you do what you do with it. So yeah, so story. we have these things called Eden buses. They originally kind of became part of what the Message Trust do to help the Eden teams reach young people on these estates. Um, it's, it's, it's a properly pimped out double-decker bus. So as in Scotland, we've got a climbing wall in it, massive, great big screens for gaming, little nail bar, 
music, DJing equipment, all this kind of stuff. We are going to go and hang out on this bus straight after this interview because that was apart from the nail bar, which isn't my thing, <laughs> uh, sounds like great fun. It is. It's so it's so good, and it is a great way of connecting. You can obviously it's mobile, so you can take it anywhere. Just park it up where you know kids hang out uh, on some estate somewhere in Glasgow. And we park the bus up and kids just gravitate to it like a magnet. So we, we will train local churches to staff it. They will staff it for a minimum of six weeks. Over that period of six weeks, um, you, you get to build relationships as a local church with 30, 40, maybe 100 teenagers that you would never ordinarily meet. Um, and now we, we in Scotland uh, have slightly tweaked the model. So we're working in partnership with Alpha and we run something called the 1010 Project. So if you listen to this and you're in a church in Scotland, get in touch with me and you can be part of this 1010 project. 1010 project, partnership between the bus, Message Trust and Alpha, Alpha in Scotland. Churches will run six weeks of bus ministry and then immediately after will take all of the young people that they've met, the new unchurched non-Christian kids that they've built relationships with for six weeks on the bus and they will take them through a youth alpha. And we've, we've done it already. We, I was just saying to you earlier Sam you know we we currently have young people who we met on a bus who had never been to church before we got to know them on the bus they went through a youth alpha program somewhere along those 12 weeks they they made a commitment to follow Jesus and and prayed that prayer and became a Christian and now they are running youth alphas in their church it's just incredible so the bus is great when we work in partnership with alpha it's even better because We don't want to be just people who help churches connect with young people. We are absolutely committed to helping resource and train churches to disciple young people well and help those young people to find a home in a local church. That's really what we want to do. It's not just about hands in the air. I'm an evangelist, right? So every time a kid puts their hand in the air, I get excited. What I really get excited about is when somebody phones me and says, Three months later and says, that kid, but they're, they're still in church. Yeah. And hey, do you know what? They're, they're talking about running a youth alpha now. That's when I really mm, get excited. Sure. That's what we're doing in Scotland. That's <laughs> what we're committed to with the Message mm. Trust. You mentioned uh, a moment ago, just in passing, you kind of skipped over it, <laughs> that, oh, I was in a band. Um, and we need to come back to that because uh, this band was called Superhero. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was chatting to you earlier, Tim, that you know, when, when I was a teenager, I really, I mean, not just when I was a teenager, I still enjoy listening to Superhero. <laughs> But often Superhero would tour around sort of local uh, youth groups, including the one I was in and That's other Christian right. bands. Um, but I think this is quite an important part of your personal story because it, it really does link in with a lot of what you're doing now. So, so tell me about yeah. the band because this, this wasn't just you, oh, let's make some Christian music. This, this was a really kind of missional band, if I can use that word. Um, and maybe chat about what you did, particularly in Eastern Europe as well, because that will mm. lead on to some other projects you're still involved in. Yeah, so the, I moved to Glasgow uh, when I was just a kid in 1990, and uh, I was there to help uh, plant a church. And shortly after moving to Glasgow, just met a whole bunch of guys, and we just formed a band. And we'd had no great kind of grand plan at the time, but very, very, very shortly after we played our first gig in Glasgow, we made a decision. We are going to use this band as a way to connect with young people. That's just what we're going to do. And we didn't really know anything about the Christian music industry or even if it existed. We didn't know really much about the possibility of using music to reach it. We didn't. We knew there was a kind of a history. You could read books about American history and all that stuff and how music had evolved over the years. But we made that commitment. 
And for 20 years, that's what we did. Wow. So the vast majority of what we did was partnering the local church, 40 kids in a church on a Friday night somewhere in the UK, driving down the M6, you know, turning the PA up to 11 from 2 <laughs> and just rocking out for an hour, telling these kids about Jesus. And we did that for 20 years. Um, towards the end of it, I would say the second half of it, because I've always had a connection with Eastern Europe. When I, was, when I was a young man, I went to Eastern Europe just after the kind of whole fall of communism, went to Romania, went to Russia, went to various different places, and it, it shaped me as a person. Um, but the latter years of the band, uh, the second sort of half of that 20-year uh, that period, we spent a lot of time as a band in Eastern Europe, and in particular a country called Estonia. Uh, and we, we were just going into Estonia, partnering with organisations and local churches and that country has very unique issues, very unique, very secular, very secular. And we, we came across young people in Estonia who literally had never heard the name Jesus mentioned in any kind of religious context whatsoever. I mean, it's that secular. Um, and we, we, were doing, we were doing a lot of work there for about five years and it was wonderful. But whilst we were there, actually, um, I met up with some guys from an organisation called Josiah Venture. Um, this is an American organization that's been working in Central and Eastern Europe for 25 years, doing, I mean, incredible work, helping to support and resource and train local churches in a, in a part of the world where, you know, there is not an abundance of full-time youth workers. There's not, there's not many full-time pastors, let alone full-time youth workers, hugely under-resourced, but a massive harvest field. Less than 1% of the youth population would, would uh, across Eastern, Eastern Europe, um, in the countries we're working in, would have any kind of personal relationship with Jesus. There's a tiny percentage of the youth uh, population. Um, and this is the harvest field we're in. It's massive, absolutely massive. And Josiah Venture, for 25 years, 25 years, have been committed to sending people, resources, missionaries, training churches, um, how to disciple young people, how to reach young people. Um, so I met with those guys randomly at a gig once, and the guy was like, hey, I work with this organisation, we're doing something very similar to this. Um, and cut a long story short, uh, now, um, I, uh, as well as my role with the Message Trust, uh, I work as an international director with Josiah Venture, uh, working in 13 different countries and a lot of it is with music still yeah exactly and it's amazing how all these things sort of feed together of yeah. passion for youth ministry yeah. and music you could and almost say that like somebody somebody <laughs> bigger than us was in control you of this could. stuff right you could almost <laughs> say that hey I mean I want to play a bit of superhero so what songs Dude, should we play oh my word gosh you put me on the spot now why don't we play OMG okay here is OMG by superhero Got myself a tricky situation Oh my god, I hope you got my back Cause I'm in trouble when I'm under attack And oh no, I got myself a proper situation Got nowhere to turn and here I'm crying out to you And I don't even believe in you
by Superhero I'm here with Tim Cheshire who was the front man of that band I was going to let you know that song we, we only ever really made one proper video and, and it was to that song um, we did it in Estonia after 62 hours of not sleeping oh my word that, it was a punishing schedule and at the end of hours. it we remembered hey we've scheduled in to make a video do you remember so <laughs> if you watch a video and we look slightly tired that's why <laughs> I am going to check that video out now I want to see exactly how tired you're looking <laughs> Wow, that is. Uh, uh, I feel dear. like that must be some sort of world record. It was certainly our other, record. I can't think of any other bands or artists who've attempted to record a music video after 62 hours of staying up. That's cl- classic superhero administration. I did mm. want to delve into a couple of kind of wider topics because mm. we're, we're here in Scotland yeah. and you already mentioned that um, you know, you've got a big heart for Eastern Europe and you're doing a lot of work there. And the figure you mentioned was something like less than 1% mm. of people across that part of the world have any kind of connection or personal relationship with Jesus or understanding yeah. Christianity. Uh, but here in Scotland, there are very similar statistics that get bandied around. And, yeah. and certainly the people I've been talking to here would say that if you look at the secularization, which most would agree is happening in the West, yeah. it seems to be happening at a faster rate in Scotland than uh, than England. And that's not to say that England's doing well. I think the, the downward trends are often look similarly bad for, for across the whole of the UK. But it does seem widespread agreement that, that Scotland's in a bit of a bad place. So a couple of questions. I mean, first of all, kind of what gives you hope in, in the current climate? Um, and, and secondly, why is Scotland worse by that measure mm. than other parts of the UK? I, I mean, I do know that recently I, I spoke to a guy who informed me that Scotland had been placed onto the unevangelized nations list. Which was, I've lived in Scotland most of my life, you know, I haven't picked up any of the accent. All my kids speak with a Scottish (laughs) accent. They were all born in the Southern General in in Glasgow. And my wife worked in a primary school in Deniston for 19 years. But, you know, we we understand Scotland very well. And and the history of of Scotland and its heritage in terms of sending people overseas is quite incredible. And to discover a few years ago that we'd been placed onto the unevangelized nations list was certainly for me a little bit of a wake-up call, like, hey, wait a minute, what is this is crazy. Um, but uh, my hope, as always, as always, is in the gospel. My hope is in the gospel. I do think that large swathes of the church here in, in Scotland are, are kind of hunkered down a little bit, and they're in preservation mode. And I can understand why that's happening. I'm not disrespecting that. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. Um, not, all, not all elements of church are like that. But I absolutely know for sure that the church will not survive when it's in survival mode. 
because that is not what church is supposed to be. Um, and, and we do need a new generation of young people who are going to populate the church in Scotland who will never be in survival mode. They will only ever be on the offensive. They will dream big. They will know that God is with them. They will be full of courage, full of faith. They will be those Peters stepping out of the boat. They will be walking on the water. And if they sink, they will feel the hand of Jesus rescuing them and pulling them out of the water. And they will go on and they will go on again. And that is where my hope lies. Because every day, every day, I see young people hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel. And my hope is in the gospel. And I love church, but my hope is not in the church. My hope is in the gospel. And, and I do believe in Scotland when we, when we get this sense of courage back, that we don't need to be in survival mode. When we start getting on the front foot again, being offensive and taking huge steps of faith, even small steps of faith, God will absolutely honour that and he'll be with us and the church will grow and it will grow and it will strengthen and it will develop. My hope is in a new generation of young people uh, who, will be, uh, who will be part of church and see it develop in a new way. And I feel that that's part of my responsibility. I feel a huge burden of responsibility. Not that it's going to be me that's going to do it, but I do feel burdened to be part of that. So if anybody ever asks me about the church in Scotland, but I'm only ever going to be positive about it because I know because I see it all the time. Young people respond to the gospel because they want it, because there's power in the gospel. Simple as that. That's never changed. doesn't matter how bad the state of the church is here or anywhere else. The effectiveness and the power in the message of the gospel remains absolutely the same. Well, from, uh, from here in a castle in the highlands of Scotland, <laughs> we're going to have to say goodbye. But we are here at, uh, we're here at Re- Refuel Festival. As I say, you're leading the youth tent. Will you yeah. be here next year? 100%. We're 100%. committed to this. We're committed to this. Right from the start, Craig phoned me up. He's like, hey, can you help us out? We're in. So you'll be here next year if you we'll want to come here. check out Refuel Festival. And I'm not sure if they'll let you into the billiard, billiard room in the castle, but you can always try. Um, then uh, the, the youth tent is where it's happening and Tim's heading up. So uh, if you want to check it out, go to the website. Refuel, it's run by the filling station. But for now, Tim Cheshire, thank you so, so much. Cheers, Sam. Love you to see you again. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. We'll be right back with another interview here on The Profile. I'm going to be talking to Richard Fothergill, who started the filling station. And of course, it's out of the filling station that this refuel event happened, which is where I've recorded both of my interviews this week. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with that interview with Richard Fothergill right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. Is climate change our biggest threat? Increasing numbers of Christians are saying yes. Find out why in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. Plus, we talk to Rachel Gardner, the youth worker, on a mission to instill courage into the next generation of women. And as Google celebrates its 20th birthday, we ask, what happened to its motto, don't be evil? All this, plus features on everything from the death penalty to single parenting. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. 
This show is brought to you in association with the magazine I edit. It's Premier Christianity magazine. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest edition, you can get one. Just visit our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, today on the show, I'm delighted to say I have a special guest with me. It's Richard Fothergill. Richard is the founder of The Filling Station, a new informal way of expressing the Christian faith. And The Filling Station also runs an annual summer festival called Refuel, which is taking place right now at the time of recording in the Highlands of Scotland. And we're actually sitting inside uh, a beautiful castle and uh, people are camping on the grounds just outside here uh, for this uh, event called Refuel run by The Filling Station. So Richard, welcome to the show. Very nice to be here. Can you um, share some of your testimony with us? Quite often on the show we like to start by hearing about a person's early life and faith. So where did Christian faith come in? Yes, well I was uh, (coughs) born in Kendal in the Lake District, so I'm a northerner by... Uh, origin. And uh, well, having said that, my father was a forester and he went and worked in Scotland in uh, the borders. So I had my first decade of life up here in Scotland. And um, I mean, we were, we were uh, probably Anglican type Christians, but it was very much that was just the culture. So we do Christmas and Easter services maybe. And uh, but if the turkey was burning on Christmas Day, we wouldn't go to church. We just make sure we got the turkey right, you know. So so being a Christian was seen as kind of the norm. Yeah. But it wasn't really talked about, and we didn't read Bibles or anything like that. So my brother and I, there's two of us in our household, uh, two uh, brothers. We we just grew up in in that kind of environment, and um, it was only when I went to a school called Monkton Coombe down in the south. Uh, that it was a very Christian school, st- still is, I think, that I started to hear the gospel. And it was really over the five, six years of being at the school in the south, of uh, talking to my contemporaries at school who were believers. I shared a study with two Krika guys at one point. And then my tutor, the chaplain, <clears throat> they had a lot of Christians there who really did walk their talk, you know. And uh, it was over that period I heard the gospel, and somewhere along the line I started to believe. And I can't pin to, pinpoint a date of when I confess my sin and ask Jesus to take over, as you do. You know, I can't point to that at all. It was over a five-year period. I know, actually, at 17 I wasn't a Christian, mm-hmm. but I know by 21 I was, right. most certainly. And as my brother, also he became Christian when he was about 16, through the school. So, um, and then we started to get involved with fellowship, started to go to a church more earnestly. At the university, I went to a Baptist church up in Newcastle. And then... Um, and then I went to London. I started a sort of yuppie career down there. I was in advertising and public relations. And I did that for seven years and enjoyed myself immensely. And then I started, I went to various churches in London. I started off in uh, St. Helen's Bishop's Gate over in the east end of town in the city. And then I migrated westwards, partly because I was living over in Fulham, to a church called Holy Trinity Brompton. That's where um, I bumped into the Alpha course and things like that. So, yes. um, so that was a very potted you, history. You were at HTB, I think, at a really interesting time, uh, really when H- when Alpha was starting to really take off and go all over the world, and it quite right. exploded, really, didn't it? It is indeed. I think I was there for the third ever Alpha course, and it was only, in its early days, it was only an introductory course to visitors at Holy Trinity Brompton. Right. And there was sort of 35 people on it, and it was just happened to be called the Alpha course. And you're quite right, it was sort of the seven years I was there was when it started to get a bit out of hand, really. And, <laughs> well, what was it like? In the, for, for the, oh, going it was to the church really, and this thing kind of blowing up? It was a real buzz. I tell you, there was a real sort of uh, expectancy in the air. I was also at the very first meeting that John Wimber ever came over and did wow. in 1983. 
uh, I was in the church then, and um, that was a quite interesting development because then you started to see the power of the Spirit at work. So we had Alpha going on evangelistically, and then uh, John Wimber bringing up all these interesting ideas about how the Holy Spirit could use these funny gifts, etc. And that, as I had a bit more of a conservative uh, theological upbringing, say, mm-hmm. St. Helens and elsewhere, I remember being rather sort of appalled at some of this uh, charismatic stuff. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm sure that can't be right. I'm sure that. But um, by the grace of God, over the time I was there, I heard and saw, and I had explained to me actually scripturally, that so much of the Christian life is all about the Spirit of God mm. at work. It's pneumatology. It's where the Spirit leads. So, yes, but the Alpha time was very exciting. Mm. And it did, t- it did take... By the time I left in 91, I think it was in, in kind of 20 countries. And, uh, you know, certainly HDB was... Uh, just one of hundreds of churches that were mm. using it as a tool. It's really interesting, you know, talking about how John Wimber came over and how I think a lot of the UK church was discovering or rediscovering that the charismatic gifts are a really fascinating time in kind of recent church history now. What were the things that really convinced you? Because I think we should emphasise that for the church culture at the time, for people to suddenly do things like speaking in tongues or having words of knowledge or prophecy... I mean, in some churches, this still would be very abnormal, but, but particularly for a lot of the church yes. in that time, th- this was really quite new and, and, as you say, quite shocking. So what were the, yeah, things, that convinced, right. yeah, what were the things that convinced <clears throat> you that this actually was of God? Well, one key person, actually, was a friend of mine from university called Sarah, who I knew known at Newcastle University, and she was very, a very bright cookie. And um, she was a member of Mensa and uh, knew her Bible very well. Um, but she did have this tendency in worship to start singing and warbling away in tongues. And I remember at HTB, we go to church together with a group of us, and uh, off she go. And I remember going, oh, no, don't do that. Oh, it's a terrible noise. But we, and, then, and then in the, the part afterwards, we'd talk about the evening and the sermon and talk and so on. And um, she would just explain to me. So that, she, she had lots of credibility in my eyes because she had a brain. You know, she's a, a clever, thought-out intellectual person she was obviously not uh, uh, stupid and yet she said no this is, a, this is a gift from God this is a really useful tool it really helps my prayer life and then when you see it done in public and there's an interpretation that's another aspect of this gift called tongues and this is how God has chosen to help us and that's the way she would phrase it so I sort of uh, that won me over a lot to the if you like the intellectual mm. Uh, credibility of using the spiritual gifts and then the second thing I would suggest for me certainly in my experience was I was actually experiencing things my very first word of knowledge I was on the prayer ministry team because I wanted to help and I had a word of knowledge for somebody which at the time I thought just seemed sort of trivial and silly but when I shared it in the moment of praying for this chap at the end of the evening he burst into tears it absolutely hit home in his situation in his heart and then we had a chance to pray into what he was concerned about. And he went away a really happy man. So I, when things like that happen, I made me think, well, this word of knowledge business, he seems pretty weird. But look, that guy has been really helped. It works. That's a, that's a good thing. I want, I want, as a Christian, I want to serve others. I want to help others. So, Lord, if this is one way in which you could do that through me, I'm up for it. Give me more words of knowledge so I can pass on. Let's see what happens. Mm. So it's things like that. It started yeah. like that. And alongside being at HTB, tell me a bit more about what you were doing for work and for business. You were in advertising at this Yes, point? I was in uh, a series of, of PR and advertising agencies in the West End of London. Uh, by the time I left to go off uh, into the Ordain Ministry in 91, I was, with, uh, I was running my own firm at that last stage. But I had been with a, 
a big outfit called um, Darcy McManus Benson and Bowles, who I'm sure don't exist anymore. But they were, I think, the fourth biggest advertising agency in the world at this stage. And I was account director in there. And I was actually really enjoying my career. It was great fun. I spe- we specialised in aerospace and uh, sort of high-tech industries, aero engines, things like that. So so big brands for planes and things that are yeah, so yeah, yeah. Defence contractors, that's right. Big corporates, and, and particularly in the whole aerospace air right. world. In fact, okay. we had, the firm I worked for at one stage had uh, Westland Helicopters, which, again, is all very historic now, but... Uh, Michael Hesseltine resigned over the Western Helicopter contract, and we happened to be the PR firm that had the. Wow, uh, the it's a tough job. Yeah, but I arrived just after that had happened with them, so I wasn't working too hard. <laughs> that sounds like a, a very fulfilling and quite demanding job. Long, long hours. Long hours, yeah, long hours. Well, you got the rewards financially, which is nice. Long hours, but I had, you know, before I was converted, I definitely had a very kind of clear career path as to what I wanted to do. Um, it, sounds, it sounds like nothing now, but I want to have you know, 30000 a year by the time I was 30 and have a, be a director in something. And again, that was quite a lot of money back in <laughs> 1980 or something. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was, but it was great fun. I loved it. And then the call of God comes and you lay it all down for all-day ministry. It does. And in my case, it was a pretty explicit one, really. I, the Lord, by the Spirit, appeared to me in my office in Knightsbridge one afternoon or one morning. And completely flattened me for an hour, over an hour. I was, I was sort of flattened in the spirit. Wow. And uh, I knew it was the Lord. And the Lord said to me then, Richard, if you're willing to go for me, mm. then these things will happen. Wow. And somehow he showed me, like a film strip, he showed me what would happen if I went full time in, in church life. Uh, both good and evil. He showed me the good stuff, which was maybe come to faith and people be healed and changed and transformed and all sorts of stuff and the kingdom of God would grow and it would just be fantastic. But he also showed me an element of opposition and persecution, particularly from religious men and women, uh, which is interesting. So the Lord kind of showed me all this and my my natural reaction was, yeah, of course, Lord, I love you, I trust you. You know best. If you want me to go that way, I'm enjoying my PR life and advertising, but, you know, I'll go down that route. I hadn't thought about this <laughs> until now. And um, so that was my reaction. My heart reaction was, yeah, I'll do it, whatever. So that's how it started. That was 91. That was, no, it was in uh, July 1990 that happened. So. It's really interesting what you said there about the God showing you the, the kind of dark side of what, what could happen <laughs> as, as well. Um, what, what specifically was that referring to? Well, he was referring to per- a sort of a persecution in, in a right. Western way. It's yeah. nothing like being a Christian in North Korea (laughs) but certainly and I have had that I've I've had um, people really have a go at me uh, historically and um, people uh, and I've learned one thing I've learned in the kingdom actually is that that, that, as we see in scripture that dry religion hates the freedom of the spirit you know Jesus comes to bring life in all its fullness and that is the Spirit's work in any Christian, mm. to bring a new life yeah. and a joyful life, a full life. And yet there's a religious spirit out there which wants to control everything, screw everything down and get you to live by laws and rules. And if you're looking like you're not behaving in that kind of way, mm. it will come crashing down on you. So it's almost like religion seems to be the enemy of the freedom we actually do all have in Christ. And um, so it came from that quarter. Frustratingly, because you sort of think, well, if I'm going to get persecuted, I want to get persecuted about people who aren't Christians and kind of hate the gospel, but not yes. really. This is meant to be my brothers and sisters in Christ in a yeah. way, because they're in the church. Yeah, friendly fire always hurts more. Friendly fire, that's it. Yeah. It does, yeah. It's so sad, because, I mean, you do, sadly, you hear this quite a lot, don't you, of, of, of kind of, not just your story, but other people will talk about how 
often it is Christians who who misunderstand what their leaders are trying to do. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes people might look at some pastors, perhaps in other parts of the world, who kind of have a uh, a nice lifestyle, let's say, or have a good book deal, or are speaking on sure. big stages, and they kind of think this is a glamorous a big, a big life. Wide limo, perhaps. But you know, you call Texas, it, yeah, you sort of scratch beneath the surface, and you sort of hear these stories about just deep, deep hurt and pain mm, yeah. in in ministry. It's it's not easy. But that seems to be, if you look in scripture, that seems to be the norm for the disciples and code, isn't it? Chilly church leaders. You know, I know it was a very different world back then. Mm. The Romans were a ghastly bunch. But all the same, yeah. you know, Paul talks about. One of the things he's concerned about is being uh, with false brothers, you know, that they get uh, to have turned on him. Mm. You know, so it can be, I think it's part of the apostolic calling, mm-hmm. actually. If you're going to, uh, you're going to see the good stuff and the bad stuff. Yeah. You're going to see how the highs, the joys of, of life and intimacy with the Lord. But there's also, because of this fallen world, you're going to get a bit of a backlash, I think. Mm. So I want to talk, obviously, about uh, the filling station. Just before we get there, we want to finish the story, which, of course, took you to Cape Town and to Bristol as well. I yes, think. that's right. Um, I got ordained, uh, went into the Church of England in 91, September. Did two years training at Bristol Trinity College. Then I got ordained into... Uh, my first curacy was in uh, Twickenham in South West London. And then in 97, I went down with my wife, Josephine, our two da- young daughters, to Cape Town to do a church plant, which was thinking uh, an idea to do a church plant, and uh, with a church called uh, St John's Weinberg, and we bought a warehouse about a year later in another suburb, started with about 65 in the church, and grew it up from there. We did that for seven years, had a great time, the Lord really bested, it was lots of fun and games, <laughs> uh, lots of de-church people getting involved, lots of new people getting converted, etc. And then we came back at the end of 2004. And with Nick Crawley, my uh, long-term mate, uh, who's also ex-HDB, funny enough, we started uh, with the Bishop of Bristol's encouragement, we started a new Anglican church in Bristol called Crossnet. And uh, I only did two years with it in the end. I thought I'd be able to do a bit longer, but it was clear the Lord was taking me off into the other areas, particularly filling station, after two years. And uh, Crossnet was a great church, and it was seemed to end up being a, a student church, which we hadn't really expected. So we got all these new... Uh, young students who uh, either weren't Christians or were only just there, and but it's great because we had lots of debates and discussions right, about everything. Yeah. But the frustrating side was that they come for a, a year or something, and or two years, and then they go off to their careers elsewhere. So they have to start all over again with another mm. bunch. Uh, but it was good; it was good to do that. That got me to Bristol, the southwest of England, and then that's how I met through that geographic guess where I met the first group that did the very first filling station. Right, so let's chat about the, the filling station. Obviously, first question for those who haven't come across it before, what is the filling station? What is the filling station, indeed? Well, first of all, it's not a new church denomination. It's important to know that. It's a place of encounter uh, where people meet the Lord. And uh, whether that's in the form of renewal, if they're existing Christians and they get sort of pepped up and encouraged and strengthened and taught, or for those who are not Christians who didn't know God was around and loved them, and they become believers through it. So it's evangelism and renewal. Those are the two kind of elements, key elements, of what a filling station is. Uh, The meetings, it's done through a a once-a-month celebration meeting in a neutral venue. So in a village hall or a barn or a cafe or whatever. We've got them in all sorts of funny places. A garden centre has one. We have one in a castle for a while in Farnham. They've actually moved out to somewhere else now. And um, it's a neutral venue, midweek evening, just for a couple of hours. And uh, typically you'd have 
good quality refreshments, some worship, sun worship, uh, teaching, testimonies. Very important to have testimonies. People love to hear what God's doing and prayers answered and so on. And then some prayer ministry at the end of it. And that usually is the normal mixture of a filling station night. Mm. And uh, we're very open-handed about it. So we love people just to drop in. And if they drop out again, we never see them again. God bless them. No problem with that. Because we're not a church trying to you know, correct members or kind of do fellowship in the more organised disciple way mm. that uh, the church is doing. Um, but we do find a lot of people who have been discouraged in life, either believers or, or not, find their way to these meetings and then they love them. Mm. I think it's, it's fairly informal. It's fairly easy access. It's actually spiritually very profound because we really do pray a lot and we believe the Lord's going to meet them. Mm. So it's spiritually significant, but it's not at all religious because you're meeting in a village hall and you've got a cup of coffee in your hand and the people concerned are all friendly and it's easy going and you can walk away at any moment. Right. So you say you encountered this. So was this already up and running? No. Um, I had a vision from the Lord in end of 2003, funny enough. Uh, I say a vision, that sounds very grand. It, 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 I've never had an open-eyed vision. It was... <laughs> Yeah, I was with a friend and on a hill in, uh, we went for a walk one summer's afternoon and uh, I was in Africa at that stage and I come back to stay with this couple and um, we went up to the top of this hill called Kelston Round Hill and we got to the top of a beautiful summer's afternoon and so we, I just started praying and just thanking God for life and mm. all and then the Spirit, he showed me the landscape with these little whirlwinds breaking through a sort of black mist. The, co- the landscape was covered in a black mist. The black mist represented a, a deception that Satan had put across people's minds and our, our lives to them, that they couldn't see God, they couldn't see Christ. And then I saw these whirlwinds appearing, they started to break through, and as a result, light could get down onto the ground. And the whirlwinds, I knew in the metaphor, well, in the picture, were where Christians got together for worship and prayer it kind of punched a hole through the deception. And then the sunlight could go down. Actually, sunlight was representing God, really. So the sunshine could penetrate through the hole, hit the people on the ground underneath, and they all started to look up and think, hey, yes, I, I remember God, church, yes, prayer. I remember Jesus, yes, I remember that. I remember some story when I was a kid. And they start to think about the Lord and look up towards the Lord in their hearts. So this is a funny picture I had on the hillside. Uh, after we'd been going a couple of years with CrossNet, I met a group who'd started off an alpha course. They'd started meeting once, once a month together in this little group. I think it was called Prayer and Praise back then. And they asked me, they said, we don't quite know what we've got here. We've got about 40 people coming each month. It's in a country village hall. We like it and we worship and we have food and we teach and stuff. But we don't know what it is. Is it a church? Is it a home group? Is it an alpha group? We don't know what it is. So Richard, could you help us? Could you be a hand on the tiller? to help us steer this thing and find out what it is. Mm. And I felt the Lord when I, when I prayed about it, the Lord saying, yes, definitely get stuck in with these guys. I didn't know at that stage it was going to be the vision I'd seen. Mm. And I didn't know it was going to be called the filling station. Right. That came along later. But we, we kept working together and uh, we got some good speakers in. Mm. And, we, and I talked a little bit about uh, the Holy Spirit and doing prayer ministry, things mm. like that. And uh, he seemed to add numbers. And then we started finding we were getting converted through it. And uh, we didn't quite know what to do with them, really, um, other than come back next month. <laughs> some more. So we, we did that, and then we, the Lord said, change the name. So we called it the filling station, the idea of being a place where you can be filled with the love and presence of God. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can be filled up and refreshed. And also to be outward looking. That's the whole idea. The Lord said, be outward looking with this thing. 
And that was the first filling station. That burst into life really in March 2006. And you've now got them all across the UK? Yeah, uh, there's 95 of them around the world, of which eight are abroad, and the rest are in the UK. Uh, I think it's 14 in Scotland, as we're sitting here in Scotland. Uh, one in Northern Ireland, some in Wales and so on. And it's interesting because we've done no advertising. They've just sort of popped up. After that first one happening in Box Village in Wiltshire, what we found after a couple of years, it was getting up to 100, 120 people coming once a month. We found people kept coming from other parts of the country, or round about there, that's West Country. They'd come and do it for a bit, and then they'd take it home, and they'd open their own one, just on a summer's evening, you know. Uh, for example, I heard of, of Marlborough they, one evening. They decided in July, whenever it was, they'd, get a, they'd put a big banner up and said, the filling station meets here, <laughs> Tuesday night, you know. And their first night, they got 79 people turned up. You know, they were surprised anybody else. Wow. Anyway, so there's a real, there is a hunger out there, particularly mm. those who don't go anywhere near mm. organised church on Sunday, not in fellowships. And I say de-church, perhaps they've been discouraged, perhaps they've been they sort of spiritually dried out a little yeah. bit. They're, if they can make their way to a police station, you will find mm. a lot of them gets reactivated, yes. re-excited about their relationship with yeah. the Lord. And I can, see, I can see how that is the vision and the heart behind it, to reach kind of de-church for those who've walked away from faith. But is it not also true that an event like this is probably going to attract people who for better or worse, are going to their church on a Sunday and aren't really feeling it for whatever oh, yes. reason. They want perhaps yes. a more charismatic expression of Christianity. No, definitely. We did a survey to find out who actually comes to these things a few years ago. And we found about 40% were in that category of committed, clued up Christians. Often they're serving and serving and serving and giving out on Sundays to their committed church fellowship. And that's great. And they need to carry on doing that. But they're giving out so much, they don't really have a place where they are recharged. They don't get a place where they're prayed for, where they can worship freely, where they can be encouraged. And so they, a filling station is really good for them. Hence the name, you know, again, to fill them up, refresh them. Mm. In fact, we find increasingly, we find clergy and church leaders using filling stations for that purpose. Right. Because they're, they're on the front end, you know, mm. they're serving in often quite tough spiritual situations. Mm. They're leading. But they don't have this place where they can be blessed. I had one minister come to me uh, a few months ago. He said, uh, oh, Richard, I hope you don't mind. I keep coming to the meeting. I said, of course I don't mind. You know? <laughs> he said, but it's the only place I'm off duty and I feel I can let my hair down because nobody here knows who I am. Right. I know who he is because he comes from a parish 15 miles away. Yeah. He said, nobody knows who I am. So when they pray for me yeah. and they get a word of knowledge, which is encouraging... I think, well, that's great. This is the Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. You know? yeah. So that's really helpful. I'm mm. pleased to hear that meetings do that. The other thing that I really found really interesting about this concept of the filling station and what you've done with it is we, we mentioned Alpha. And as you look across the UK, you think of these big churches or big ministries, and often they're based in urban centres. And sometimes yeah. uh, the church is accused of, or even the country in general, isn't it, accused of everything's yeah. London-centric yes. and why is everything based in London? Yes, I know that. Yeah. And, it, and you know, not entirely, but it seems a lot of these filling stations are tapping into more rural areas. And you mentioned, of Very course, much. we're sitting here in Scotland, <laughs> yeah. in the Highlands, yes. uh, with the greatest respect to, to those who live around here. We are basically in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And you're setting up a big, you know, national conference here, which I think makes yeah. a really interesting statement. Well, it is. Again, it's part of, I think it's part of the DNA. Again, we have... You know, when this all started off in 2006, we hadn't a clue where it might go. You know? But we, well, obviously that was in, a, in Wiltshire. It was very much a rural village setting. And so then it's been reproduced in rural village settings. And obviously rural spiritual life is different because there's much less than the resources there, like mm. you say. So 
often people, the Christians out there, often feel isolated. They often feel dried out. They feel like they're having to run everything and do everything in the local church set up. And so having a, a resource like this, a well, which is really what it is, where they can drink deep with the Lord in a fresh way, it seems to be very mm. popular. Mm. I can see why it works, you know. Having said that, we have got four or five, as I say, in urban settings, like the one in central London, uh, there's one in Bournemouth, one uh, in Birkenhead, sort of thing. You know, those are fairly decent towns. And uh, there it's slightly different because the people hosting it, they're very often going to good churches locally and they're not sort of doing it necessarily for their own needs. They're doing it because they see it as a, an effective tool to bring in de-churched, discouraged people and those who aren't Christians yet to have a forum where they can hear the gospel, experience the love of God, experience the presence of the Spirit and in the process they become believers. I know the one in the Wirral has had quite a number of people become Christians through it. Is some of this a, a kind of new expression, I was going to say fresh expression, which of course is something entirely different than something the Church of England is doing. Is this, <laughs> yeah. a, is this a new expression <clears throat> of church unity in the sense that as you say, it will be Christians of different denominations locally coming together. Is this a unity thing as well? It is. Well, again, we almost feel that's a bit of a side effect about us focusing on renewal and evangelism, or focusing on Jesus, really, is that unity has been breaking out, both at the leadership level, but particularly the grassroots level. Mm. Because, as you say, the Finnish station is non-denominational, mm. and people come from all denominations and none. And they discover other like-minded Christians in their area, in their village or their villages. And they think, oh, I'm not alone after all. And uh, you're quite right. There's a unity breaks out in practice on the ground. So it's, uh, and we love to see that. That's a really healthy mm. thing. We all bless each other. That's mm. the whole point. So what's your future kind of hope and vision for the filling station for the next few years? Well, I think uh, we had sort of a few prophetic words along these lines. I think uh, obviously this refuel conference week is a holiday teaching week. And uh, here we have children's church and... Uh, ministry with kids and teenagers and things, which we don't do at filling stations. Filling stations tend to be adult only, really. And uh, but I think this week here is going to get bigger and stronger. Mm. And it's actually we want it to be really available for the whole country, not just Scotland. And essentially, this year we've only done this twice. This is our second attempt. You know, this year a much higher number of people actually have come from England and right. Wales, yeah. and even abroad, France and things. Yeah, they've jumped on planes mm. and it's very easy to fly to Inverness. I Quite cheap too. I the man's done that. it himself. I came in on EasyJet flight. Um, <laughs> other airlines are available. And a yeah. uh, beautiful part of the world. We're not even that far from Loch Ness. Correct. I wish, I had, time. wish I had time to go. I'd never, I've never been before. I'm only here for a couple of days. Yeah. And amazingly, this week we haven't had a drop of rain. Oh my word. Anyway, so it's delightful. Morris is a very good spot. Anyway, so anyone listening to this, big plug for next year, 19 in July. Yeah. Uh, you may be thinking of going to New Wine. You may be thinking of going to Focus. Why not come to Scotland? Try a different one. You'll be, have a welcome in the hills. <laughs> That's a wonderful place to leave it. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to share. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Profile Pleasure. Podcast nice today. It's been great to have you with us. Hope you enjoyed both those interviews with Tim Cheshire from the Message Trust and also Richard Fothergill, who started the filling station. If you want to find out more about Refuel Festival, then I will put links in the show notes so you can discover that. Maybe go along next year. It's a superb event. I really enjoyed it and can highly recommend it. And don't forget that we're running a very special offer at the moment here at Premier Christianity Magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. If you would like to subscribe and get a whole year's worth of great quality content 
in print through your letterbox each and every month. We've got a half price offer on. You can subscribe for a whole year's worth of content for less than £20. We'll also put you into the prize draw so you can win £200 worth of new Christian books. This is a very limited offer. You don't have much time left. If you want to take advantage of this great offer, go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode of The Profile, we'd be very grateful if you would share it on social media. Also give us a review and a rating wherever you found this podcast. That would really help others discover what we're doing here on The Profile. There's loads more great interviews coming up for you over the next few weeks. So stay tuned and we'll see you at the same time in the same place next week.